0: I don't always say this and I really should but I don't want it to be just a uh, um, something that you just ignore because I say it every week um, if I could every week I would send out a thank you card to everybody that's watching or joined us in person. Um, Because it's that awesome that you're here And I don't get to say hi to every single person that comes in and I don't get to say hi to every single person that leaves um, But thank you genuinely um, From the bottom of our hearts from a staff from a leadership perspective It it means the world to us that you would join us on a sunday morning or whenever you watch it throughout the week Um, it, It truly truly does and I should say it more often and I apologize for not doing that But it is so so true what a blessing you are So, if nobody's reminded you this morning that you, in fact, are a blessing, there you go. Consider yourself reminded um, that you absolutely are, all right? Uh, Last week, last week we got to look at the first teaching, if you will, of Jesus that's recorded in the book of Luke, And as he stood up to read from the scroll of Isaiah, and I don't know if we're back online yet or not, but if we are, my apologies, if you watched online last week... uh, I disappeared for a few minutes, and uh, that was awkward online. And I thought about that in advance. I thought, you know what, they'll be all right. Um, They'll they'll, they'll figure that out. So uh, he stood up. And they handed him the scroll. And from our accounts, it doesn't appear that he requested that scroll. So there was a miracle that took place even that day as they handed out a scroll. And it just happened to be the right one for that day that Jesus knew he would be there. And he knew what he would need to read on that day. But he stood and he read, "'The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind.'" to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says he rolled that scroll back up. He handed it back to the attendant. He sat down back in his seat, and everybody was staring at him. And as they were staring at him, he said, Today, this scripture, the thing I just read, has now been fulfilled in your hearing. And that's the beginning, then, of his ministry In the book of Luke, he stood and he proclaimed that that ancient prophecy, that famous ancient prophecy about the coming Messiah was referring to him. And then Luke, we talked about last week, uses this. He puts it here at a very specific place for a reason, to set the stage for the rest of his book to all of his future readers. He first tells them, hey, this is who the Messiah is. This is the kind of Messiah that Jesus will be. Not what everybody was expecting, but this, this is the kind of Messiah. The rest of Luke then shows him carrying out this mission, especially to the oppressed and to the poor and to the sick and to those that weren't part of the in crowd, if you will, of his day. That second goal was to go ahead and at the very beginning kind of tip his hat to the end and say, and by the way, no one's ever going to accept him. From the very first teaching that I record, this is how he will be treated and received from the very beginning that third thing that he mentions in that first passage was the reality that the messiah did not just come for the jews but in fact came for the gentiles as well they they were so impressed at first at what he said in that moment they were questioning yes because they're like now isn't that joseph's son isn't that just a carpenter jesus and as he continued, he shares with them why he wasn't performing any miracles in their town, exactly to that purpose. And when he gets through all of that, they realize, you know, this is a little too much for us to handle. And that mob mentality sat in, and they dragged him out of the synagogue and take him to the edge of town to a cliff to throw him off. Jesus slips away through the crowd, though, because of the chaos. What an incredible way for Jesus to begin his ministry, right? Right? Oh, wow. This is his hometown. I, I, I still don't think we fully can grasp that idea. It's not like he was with a bunch of strangers. He was some traveling preacher. This is his hometown. This is where he's from. Probably almost everybody in the synagogue that day knew Jesus. It was a small town and it was a close community. This was the beginning then, of the conflict that would surround Jesus throughout his entire ministry, every place he went. And yeah, for some reason, after this moment, Jesus left town. I don't know why. I don't know why he would go somewhere else to preach. You know I mean? They just drug him out to kill him. But he did. He went in a different direction. And he, it says he begins to heal. There's some miracles recorded between last week's text and this week's text. He's healing diseases. He's healing ailments. He's He's casting out demons. He even calls his first disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. He tells him to leave those nets behind and come be fishers of men. Then he recruits a tax collector named Levi or Matthew. I'm really glad Jesus didn't mention that back in Nazareth, because then they really would have wanted to kill him at that point. You're bringing a tax collector in on this? Now we know there's no way you're the Messiah. So our first lesson today comes from a new place. It takes place just after, just after Jesus recruits Matthew Matthew from that tax collector's booth. We studied that story um, before. It was a long time ago. But that story of Matthew is fascinating because there's nowhere where it appears that Matthew goes to Jesus. We know nothing about the relationship between Matthew and Jesus other than Jesus goes to Matthew and says, hey, come on. And he leaves his tax collector booth and he goes with him and we just scratch our head like, what happened? What happened? Well, I like to believe that Matthew observed some of those miracles of Jesus somewhere along the way. He heard some of those teachings of Jesus. And as he sat alone in this tax collector booth, hated by every single person that came to him, he constantly couldn't get that guy out of his mind. And when that guy approached him, he had no, no other response but, of course, to react and follow in that moment. Our first lesson, if you will, from today, the first teaching of Jesus, it takes place at Matthew's house. You see, after Matthew had been converted, if you will, He invites Jesus over for a big party that night. Now, Matthew also invites a bunch of his friends, right? So you've got a tax collector who is definitely seen as a sinner in their culture. You've got all of his friends there coming over for a party to hear about Jesus. You see, this was so important to Matthew was transformation that was taking place in his life. He wanted all of his friends to meet this guy and find out all about him in an instant. It was that night that he left everything to follow Jesus, so now you've got this party going on. You've got Jesus, who they've already tried to kill. You've got Matthew, who they would love to kill. He's a tax collector. You've got a whole bunch of that sinner's friends, a whole bunch of more sinners hanging out at the party that night. Plus, you've got a few fishermen who've decided to start following Jesus. It's the perfect place for the religious leaders to come up and find Jesus and begin to accuse or condemn him in that setting. Now, according to Matthew and Mark, there's another group of people involved in this scene. It says that some of John the Baptist's disciples had showed up. Now, John the Baptist would still be alive at this point. Uh, he hasn't been executed yet yet. Why on earth were they there? Well, if you were with us or you've gone back and studied, John the Baptist, when he began his ministry, he did things very differently. When we looked at John, he was set apart as what was called a Nazarite, and that put some rules and regulations and things he was doing in his life as his parents set him aside, set apart for God in this way. And a couple of those things, we couldn't cut his hair, and he couldn't drink wine, And so he had been set apart. He removed himself from these things. These things like this party, he he didn't attend those kinds of things. His disciples didn't attend those kinds of things. He lived in the wilderness. He separated himself from a lot of those temptations of everyday life. And plus, him and his disciples were known for the times they would spend fasting and praying. So it's no wonder that some of those disciples might have heard what was going on and gone to approach Jesus because their John had told them that this is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God. And so they're scratching their heads going, well, now, if this is the Lamb of God, if this is the Messiah, then how can he be so different than us, the followers of John? How can he act so different? How do his disciples get to do things that we don't get to do? That's not fair. They're human. They would have been thinking such things as that. How's that possible? So we're in Luke chapter 5 is where we're at, if you haven't found that yet. Luke chapter 5, I didn't mention it earlier. We're going to start in verse 33. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Bible's under the chairs in front of you, or open your phone or your tablet or whatever it is that you use to read from. Jesus is there at this party, and the religious leaders come to Jesus, and they ask him. John's disciples, in verse 33, often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But, but Jesus, your, your disciples, they go on eating and drinking. And Jesus immediately replies, well, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days, then, then they will fast. Verse 36, then he told them this parable, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch it to an old garment. Otherwise, they would have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not even match the old. And no one who pours new wine into an old wineskin, otherwise the new wine will burst the skin and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, no, no. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wine wants the new for they say the old is better. Unless, of course, you attended a wedding in Cana. Another little Jesus story there. Amen. That has a lot more meaning than what you might think. Fasting. Fasting had long been a part of the Jewish faith, the Jewish calendar, even. Jews were, and technically are, still required to fast on what was called the Day of Atonement. If you look at your calendars, you might have seen something called Yom Kippur. Same thing. It was a day set aside to mourn the sins of the past year, a day set aside to then offer sacrifice or make an atonement for those sins. Beyond that requirement, fasting was seen as a a high act of worship within the Jewish faith. And so, yes, John's disciples worshiped and fasted regularly. The Pharisees might have fasted even more. There's a scene we'll read later on in Luke, I believe it's chapter 7, when a Pharisee boasts about how he fasts twice a week. So why doesn't Jesus and his disciples, why don't they fast? That's actually a very good question. There's nothing wrong with the question that they're asking. It's a very good, good, curious thing to be wondering. So Jesus goes through these series of illustrations. The first one should be fairly obvious to all of us. Who on earth would fast during a wedding feast? Jewish weddings were very different than our weddings. They would last one day, no, two, three, maybe as long as a week. It was a feast, not just a 30-minute ceremony with a reception to follow. And you would have been insane to not ate and drink during that time. There was too much goodness to enjoy. As a matter of fact, it might be the best meal that you would get the entire year or however long it was between weddings that you were invited to. Plus, it would be very, very offensive to the bridegroom and the families involved to not eat. So you don't want to offend the family, right? So you, of course, would eat. Jesus is telling them, hey, guys, right now is a time to celebrate. Remember, he's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a time to celebrate this moment. He's come to do these great works, these great things. But he tells them, hey, there'll be a time. There'll be a time, and it'll come soon, he says, when he will be taken from them. And in those days, there will be fasting. Now, Jesus is alluding to his later arrest and crucifixion. No one there listening would have understood that. He hadn't shared that information with anyone yet, not even those closest. Remember, his ministry had just started, just begun Jesus goes on then to continue to explain. He shows them that he's ushering in this new era. This new thing is happening, this new time for the Jews and for the rest of all the world. He's bringing it like this new piece of cloth. Nobody is going to take an old worn-out garment and try to tear off a piece of new cloth and put on the old garment. First, it doesn't match. He's very practical. It wouldn't even match. It wouldn't look right. It wouldn't make sense to do that, but then he goes on and he says, "Well, the reality is, you, if you put the new cloth on, it wouldn't work because when you washed it, the new fabric would shrink away from the old fabric, thus tearing it and thus ruining both pieces of fabric. It wouldn't make any sense to do this. It would make both things useless. In other words, folks, what I'm doing, what I'm saying, what I'm bringing, really doesn't mix well with a lot of those old traditions and old things that you've uh, have established." And then we're reminded that Matthew records for us the words of Jesus, I don't think I've come to abolish the law. He didn't come to do that or the prophets. I'm not come to abolish them, but just to fulfill them, to perfect them, perfect the law in a way that you can't, to perform the law in a way that we cannot. It's not Jesus and the law. <laughs> it's just Jesus. We call this a new covenant between God God. And man, a new covenant that's established and fulfilled through Jesus' perfect, sinless sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection three days later. And this new covenant allows us something even greater, something even better to be transformed into this new creation as well. In our lives, the old is gone and the new has come. Jesus makes the same point yet again with the wineskins. No one would pour wine and waste it that way. That would be stupid for them to do that. It would burst and the wine would be all over The floor, the messianic age, cannot be held down by the old traditions associated with the law. In regards to fasting, God's people, he says, should be celebrating, celebrating the forgiveness that they've received in him, a restored relationship with God rather than mourning their sin. Now, I want to pause there because I don't want you to dismiss fasting That is a spiritual discipline, and it is very, very real, and it is still a very, it's an incredibly effective way of connecting with God. When you and I set aside a need that we have, a physical, biological need that we have, and we set that aside in order to better connect with God, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. In fact, Matthew records a teaching from Jesus about fasting. It it comes in in Matthew chapter 6. And it looks like, if, if you look at the chronological order of all these events, it looks like this teaching happened very shortly after this encounter With the religious leaders. In other words, Jesus is confronted about this issue of fasting, and he explains the truth to everybody there at that dinner party that night who were challenging him. But then a little bit later, he takes time to more fully explain the discipline of fasting to his disciples. Matthew 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their face to show the others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so it will be ob- not obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to the Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret re- will reward you. Now, I just want to draw your attention to the very first word when. <laughs> when you fast. I would say it appears that according to Jesus, it's an expectation that his followers, that would be us, would spend some time fasting and praying in this world that we exist in. But notice how Jesus spells out the purpose. The purpose is solely one way. It's between you and God, and that's it. No one else should even know that it's happening Now, that should be the exact opposite, then, of what everyone else in the world, at least during Jesus' time, was doing. They would make a big show for all to see that they were fasting. If you've been here a while, then you know I don't believe anything we ever discuss, ever talk about, ever teach during these times happens by chance. As I wrote this outline back in July and August of 2021, God knew that at this moment, on February 20th, we would be talking about fasting. I did not. As a matter of fact, I had us talking about it last week. But the schedule just gradually got changed and it ended up falling on this week. God also knew something else back in August and before then because he's God. He knew that at this moment, on this date, the bride of Christ here at Berea would be considering taking a very large leap of faith into our future. We believe, we truly believe that God is leading us to higher an additional staff member. We've talked about that with you before. God has moved us to invest in a pastor to help with the establishment of our youth ministry as well as to help with the added demands of our growing adult ministries. This would be a brand new position at Berea. We have never had four full-time staff members here at this church in the history of this church since 1892. Never been done before. (laughs) We pray believing that God... develop this position. See, this is how crazy we think. We believe that we're praying that God will develop this position actually into two full-time positions, separate positions over a period of time, one that of youth minister and that of associate minister. And here's why this matters for the moment. On Tuesday, two days from now, we have a team that will be conducting a second interview and the hiring process for this position. And so here's what I ask of you. If you are able physically, would you consider fasting and praying about this opportunity that God has placed before us? Now, Now, don't don't think some of you right right away went oh, there's there's no no way because because of this. this If If fasting fasting from food (laughs) is not an (laughs) option for you because because of medical medical issues, dietary restraints, restraints, work schedules, schedules, things like that, that, don't think that God doesn't understand that. that. He knows that completely, so here's what we ask. Set aside something else that is so valuable to you in your daily schedule that you have to have in your daily schedule. Try setting that aside for a day sometime throughout this week as you pray for God's leading for the body of Christ here as we move forward. Here's the thing. God has our eyes and has had our eyes wide open to the need of this position here at Berea for quite some time. Our question is, is this how we are to meet this need? A while back when I I talked to you toward the start of the year about this, we told you our greatest concern for this position is our ability as a church to fully fund this position. Now, we know that God will provide everything that we need. We we don't have any questions about that. If he wants this to happen, then he will provide the funds necessary. And how will he do that? Through us. (laughs) That's how it works. I also shared with you last week that January was a difficult month financially for the church. There's no reason to hide that. We had some expenses in December that we did not plan on, some things that we had to immediately fix and or repair, repair and or replace. And so we struggled a little bit through that month of January. There's lots of factors that lead to that. Giving was down in January. There's factors that lead into that. God is calling us to do knowing and believing that he will provide. And now he's asking us, hey, yes, this is what I want you to do. Will you join us? Here's what I love about being a pastor of the gospel. I don't have to hide anything from you guys. I get to just lay it all out there and be completely, fully transparent. There's no need to not share details with you, and so we do. Here's what we know. We estimate that this new position will cost us about $865 more per week. The question some people would ask, is that in the budget? Yes, it's absolutely in the budget. You know what the budget is? It's a paper. You know what it means? Nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. Because money has to come in in order to fill a budget. You have to create the numbers, but the numbers are just numbers on a piece of paper. We actually have to meet what's called a budget if we' divide that out amongst the people in the room there's somewhere between 120 140 people in the room on a day like today and so that's somewhere between six and seven dollars per person14 dollars twelve to 14 dollars per couple per week. here's what we know for some people watching and listening today that would be a stretch. We understand that completely. As a matter of fact, we know that there's some people since they've come to brie or since the pandemic has hit, there's some people just have not been able to give at all. That's okay. That's okay. Here's what we ask. We ask for God to use this moment to allow you to start and start small. Start small. Ask God what to give you. See, because the reality is the amount doesn't matter. God will provide what we need. What matters is our hearts in the situation. Do we trust that God will provide all that we need? I think we as a church leadership are going through a test. Do we trust that God, it doesn't look like we're going to have what we need. Do we trust that God will provide what we need? So you see, the reality is for some of us to drop an extra 20 in the offering each week would be we wouldn't even notice it and for others even more wouldn't even consider it wouldn't matter at all to us while for some just a couple bucks would be a stretch god knows that god knows that it's between you and him we want you to listen for his voice and his leading because we know that god will provide for this position but we have to ask believing and we believe he's asking us to step out on faith And to trust him to do it. So, as a church, we ask, will you join us? Will you join us? Because God is doing some incredible things among us. We've had more than 70 adults in our first two Wednesday night studies. On Wednesday night, there's 30 men downstairs in the basement in a room way too small for 30 men. Studying, I'm serious about that. studying God's word about what it means to be a godly man. A godly man, not just here in the church, but in our families and in this world, you may or may not have a grasp on how huge that is. But if God can capture the hearts of the men of the church, (laughs) the church will follow in a mighty, mighty way. Look at how God is at work among us. But here's the thing. I don't want to be content in the moment. I don't want to just settle for good enough. I don't want you to either. God calls us to even greater things. As I wrote that, I immediately was reminded of a passage in John. It's in chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus is talking with the disciples, and he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Oh, and they'll do even greater things. Why? Well, because I'm going to the Father, and, and I'll do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I'm imagining as Jesus is speaking those words, and his 12 disciples sat around listening, were they laughing? right you're crazy jesus there's no way we could ever do the things you've done there's just no way it could never happen casting out demons healing the blind the lame to walk jesus you raised the dead did you forget that there's no way (laughs) until acts 2 if you haven't read acts 2 i would challenge you to read acts 2 this week there was a way and it happened and his spirit descended upon them And everything changed, and those greater works began to happen. And the really cool thing is that day that Jesus' words came to life through that spirit, that same spirit is alive and well among us today. And if you believe in Jesus today, then you have access to that same spirit within you today. And he can do even greater things. He promised. He doesn't break promises. And so, God, we are seeking him in this moment. We, the church, want to reach out in new ways to those around us. We want to build up your people stronger, strengthening them against the attacks of the evil one, your people, your families, everyone that's associated in church. We cannot wait to see what God does in this moment. But we also can't wait to see what he will do next. You see, there should always be this sense of excitement within the Bride of Christ. Think about it. First of all, as individuals, are you excited that you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Because if that doesn't excite you, there's something wrong. Beyond that, are you excited to be part of his plan? You are a part of his plan to seek and save the lost in this world. You, every one of you, are a part of that plan to reach the lost, the confused, the dying around us. Are you excited about what's next? What God will do among us next? God, we are so thankful for the moment. We see you working in the moment. But are we excited about what's coming next? Because everything we do... We want to bring glory and honor to you. Now, some might be sitting there right now and saying, hey, Jesus told us not to worry about tomorrow. Yes, he did. He says, a matter of fact, tomorrow has enough worries to take care of itself. Don't worry about that. But you know what? He never said not to be excited about tomorrow, did he? Because we should naturally should be excited about tomorrow. Here's the reality. Let me explain to you why you should be excited about tomorrow. You only have two options for tomorrow. Did you realize that? there are only two options option one is god gives you another day he gives you another breath in your lungs another opportunity to live another opportunity to enjoy this incredible creation and share his son with those around you that's option one option two is you're in his presence that's pretty exciting too that's it that's all you have in life these are your only two options there is nothing else as a believer should you be excited about both of those yes we should always be excited about tomorrow. Will you join us as we move ahead in faith? Because that's what it is. If it was easy, we would have done it a long time ago. It's not easy. As we pursue God in this moment, will you help, make, help us make this dream a reality? There was a pastor, the pastor of the church that I grew up in, he had a phrase that he would use quite often. He said, if that doesn't light a fire on you, then your wood must be a little too wet. It's a true statement. Jesus closes with a third illustration, one that you might take two different ways. I don't know which way you took it when you first read it. He shares with us that after drinking the old wine, nobody, nobody wants the new. You see, their, their minds are already made up. They won't even try the new wine. You see, they're comfortable with the way things have always been. The old way is what they know, and that way, of course, is best, right? Right? Jesus knows that some of those listening will never respond to the new ways of the Messiah. Some people don't want to change. You know, that's still true today, both inside and outside the church. So many, when offered the new life that only Christ can provide them, they won't accept it. Not because they don't need it, not because they don't know it would be good for them, but because they prefer to stay with the old ways. Even when those old ways are harmful and destructive to their minds, bodies, and souls. See, leaving those old ways behind, that's going to be hard. That's why you and I, we've got to share our stories with them. We have to show them the difference in Christ. They need to see what Jesus has done in you so that they can dream about what Jesus might do in them. I've never When I wrote that out, I was like, God, I really like that. Well done. Never thought about it that way. I'm going to say that again in life. They need to see what Jesus has done in you so they can dream about what Jesus might do in them. Jesus is challenging us in the church to begin to take a new path moving forward. The old ways, hey, they were great. This church started in 1892. It's still here. Obviously, they've worked to some degree of effectiveness, but could it be even more effective? The old ways, they worked, but I got some new plans for you. (laughs) And in order to accomplish those plans, we got to make some changes. We got to do some things differently. Remember, we will never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are. And that goes for us as individuals, and it absolutely goes for us as the church. So are you excited? Are you a little nervous? (laughs) Because I am. I put on a good show. I'm nervous, but it's a different kind of nervous. It's a standing in line for that new roller coaster kind of nervous. Yeah, we know the thrill of following Jesus, but we can't quite see over that first hill just yet, (laughs) so we're not quite sure what to expect. Will you join us this week, if you're able, fasting and praying? That meeting takes place at 6.30 on Tuesday night. Got no reason not to tell you all the details. Will you be willing today to specifically pray for your church, for the Bride of Christ here at Berea, and our path moving forward? forward that altar is open to pray not just prayers for you but to to pray for the bride of christ here to pray for the leadership here to pray for the team that's doing the interview to pray for the candidate that's in the interview to pray for our future and where is god leading us to pray that that excitement that should be a part of the body of christ let's be honest we've all been in lots of churches that you walk in and it just kind of feels dead there's just no excitement there's no emotion there's no nothing because it's just business as usual that's not the way the church should be There should be just an aura of excitement. When you walk in the room, you should just feel like, what's next? God, what are you going to do today? I'm here. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be here. What are you going to do today in me and in this church? And God, where do you want us to go as we move into the future? If you'd be willing to pray today, please do. Father God, we pray that we are fully seeking your face, your will, your desires for us as individuals. And as the body of Christ here, we know you're in charge. We give you the keys, the vehicle. The, it's all yours, Father. It's an honor to get to ride in the back seat. We pray for those that might be listening today, that are looking at us like, man, those people are crazy. What are they doing? Don't they know that, that churches are supposed to be shrinking right now? Less people are supposed to be going to church. Uh, new rules, new regulations, people rejecting those things. Well, what are they doing? Trying to expand, trying to grow, trying to reach more to seek and save the lost. Well, Father, we, we, we're doing what you ask us is what we're doing. And we don't want anything this world throws at us to inhibit us. Father, please push that enemy away from us. Don't let him be a discouragement to anyone in this room, anyone in leadership. Father, just just take his his opinion out of the equation completely and let us completely focus on your word. Father, I pray specifically for anyone that might join us this week that uh, has considered that idea maybe of fasting, as you ask us to do when we fast, do it this way, but but giving them something to, to fully devote to in prayer. Father, the hiring of this new position, the ability to to financially take care of that. Father, maybe the fasting and praying has to do with their own personal finances and their act of worship through giving and and their tithes and offerings. Father, I, I pray that you speak to them throughout this week regarding those sensitive matters. That so often we tiptoe around in the church, but Father, it's it's just an incredible way to think about the reality of all the things you've given us and the chance we have to, to offer our thanks back to you through our tithes and offerings. May it never become anything more than a gift back to you of thankfulness for all that you've given us. Father, we as a church, we only want to do your will. We want everything we do to bring praise and glory and honor to your son, to lift his name high. Because when we do that, people will be drawn to you, not to us. And that's what we seek most. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.